wedding, Jim. But not as we know it. How dare you? with a roadmap of 2023. All of that and much more coming up this evening on the Bashcast. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year and Happy Hanukkah. Hope you had a good one. I absolutely smashed Christmas dinner. Absolutely smashed it. Beef Wellington, roast potatoes. The only thing that went wrong, two things went wrong. Uh, I took the pigs and blankets out of the oven. I said to my boy, do you want pigs and blankets at, at Christmas dinner? And he was like, nope, don't like them. Do you know what they are? I don't know what they are, but I definitely don't like the sound of pigs and blankets. And then one day I just served him up a sausage wrapped in bacon. And it's his favourite thing ever. And now he tells everyone around that he meets... Do you want to know what a pig's and blanket is? It's actually the sausage is like the pig and then the blanket is like the bacon. And I took them out of the oven, but my kitchen, where I'd been cooking since nine in the morning, and this is like 2pm, was just covered in like dishes on trays of food. Roast potatoes, carrot and sweet mash with horseradish, soy Brussels sprouts with bacon, the beef wellington itself, um, baked broccoli, just covering the kitchen and I had no space so I put them on a site that generally isn't used for food and left them in the hot baking tray and that was the mistake because they were perfectly done but the baking tray was still hot and they continued to cook in this hot baking tray and when I returned to them at half past two which was bang on serving Christmas dinner time 
they were completely carbonated, blackened on the bottom, and I had to sort of cut them all in half linearly in order to make them presentable because there was no way my boy wasn't having pigs in blankets on the table. It was pretty much the only thing he ate. So Christmas dinner was ready for 2.30. Now, you know how you go to your mum's and she says Christmas dinner's going to be at 2 and then it's at 5 and she's got bowls of celebrations all around the house and yet she tells you off if you actually eat one of them. Well, I said the dinner was going to be at 2.30 and have a guess what time dinner was. It was exactly ready. Everything beautifully prepared at exactly the same time. Cabbage, red wine sauce, all of it was warmed and ready at exactly 2.30. And how many people were in the house at exactly 2.30? Zero. Not a soul to be seen anywhere. All of them, my brother-in-law and his wife, my mother-in-law, my other brother-in-law, my two children, my wife, all of them had gone out for a walk down to the church and uh, the uncles had placed like treats from the elves all the way. I mean, why why are the elves putting treats down in the mud all the way down to the church? By the way, I know my brother-in-law listens to the beginning of this podcast. So why, why would the elves do that, Ian? Um... No, it was great because, you know, got them out of the house, it stopped all the claustrophobia, cheered my son up, who had a lot of anxiety at Christmas Day because, um, um, you know, he went through the tragedy of the friend, the little four-year-old boy, passing away a few months ago. And um, all of that group of kids had, you know, they dealt with it really well. And somebody sent a letter to them all saying that they told Santa about it and how well they reacted, and they're definitely on the good list. And then a three-year-old boy turned to my son and went, I saw Santa, and he told me that you're on the naughty list. And you and carried that anxiety all the way to Christmas Day morning. And then he woke up on Christmas Day morning, and uh, he slid down the slide that is on his bed, saw that the stocking was full of presents, and screamed, Oh my gosh, I am! On the good list, I am a good boy, which is enough to bring tears to your eyes. Anyway, so they were all out of the house, every single one of them, and dinner was ready. So, harumph. Um, other than the pigs and blankets having to be chopped in half, it was a it was a success. I hope you had a good one yourself. I saw, I also got a little bit excited with the boozeroozy on Christmas Eve, and the plan was to wrap my presents. When I got back from this social shindig, however, I'd had a bit to drink, quite a lot. And when I got back, I kind of, I fell asleep in the clothes that I'd worn out, to tell you the truth. And um, I sort of woke up in the middle. You know when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're still wearing the clothes that you didn't mean to go to sleep in and then I have to get changed? And then, yeah, woke up on Christmas Day morning, obviously not the first person to wake up because I've got small children and a hangover. So how am I going to be the first person? And yeah, my presents to everyone are unwrapped and I've somehow got a stealthily... That's bad dadding, isn't it? I'm in bad dad corner for that. And yeah, for my wife, combination 40th birthday coming up, or is she 25? Am I allowed to say that she's 40 coming up? You see, I've never got any problem about talking about it. In fact, I think I talk about age more than most people not because I'm fearful of it. I think more because I'm accepting of it, if that makes sense. Well, touch wood, she doesn't listen to this part of the project. 
uh, podcast. My 25-year-old wife, who's going to be 26 coming up, um, Oki Stridham. I overstaked on Oki Stridham at 175 to 1 on the Alfred Dunhill in the weekend of the 10th of December, which was the penultimate golf tournament of the year last year. And then um, I was kind of coming up with some plans of staking for 2023, some new edges, which of course need bankrolls. You've always got to be invested in these new edges and stuff like that. But the Christmas Eve, um, I had no idea I was going to do this. I decided that whilst I was out and I'd had quite a few drinks, I was just going to withdraw the extra money that I won on Oki Strider, which was the staking that I had over what I normally do, because it had been a good run on golf. And sometimes, like in poker, maybe you're bankrolled for, you know, $50 or $100 tournaments. It's now and again fun just to jump in a 1000 It just keeps you awake. And it's just, I have the same thing with gambling a little bit, where, you know what, if I'm on a good run uh, and I see something big value, sometimes I'll sort of overstake, and that's what I did with Oki. So I withdrew that and um, just transferred it almost pretty much exactly from markets over to Airbnb and got a big villa for um, a couple dozen people for my wife's 26th birthday later in the year. And then woke up on Christmas Day morning, had actually forgotten that I'd done that, and then handed all of the presents. It wasn't until much later on Christmas as I was tucking into my second bottle of red wine whilst cooking dinner um, that I did remember that there was a secondary gift for my wife. And then we had the fun and games of the, um, the PDC... World champion. Fancy double twelve or double eight. Who's in charge? Me or the devil? I think I'm in charge. Fuck that double eight. Shake it down. Just my Come on, you can't. The PDC World Championships uh, for me was a losing event. Not hideous. How much? Minus 700 odd. Um, it's one of those where I think it definitely. 745 quid down. I mean, come on. Uh, that compared to what I was, I haven't worked out the ROI, but I don't know. It's not concerning. The tracker itself, we have this. Um, we have the tracker, which we put some darts bets on at Bookie Bashing, and the reason we do this is to monitor the ROI. No other reason. The thing about darts bets is that. They don't take a lot of liquidity at soft bookmakers. Um, I think the biggest edges are if you could put multiples of most 180s and session 180s, I think, as well. Um, and neither of those... Well, the session 180s aren't available on the exchanges. And I that slightly annoys me. I didn't find that much. There was a couple at Fred and William Hill, but nothing huge. Um, looking here, the biggest couple were Menza Suljevic. Um, oh, that was most 180s just against Mike De Decker at 11 to 1, which came in. Uh, Ryan Meekly, most 180s in the session at 13 to 2, came in. So things like that. Um, but I didn't have the paddy power or the access, and Ryan Meekly was actually at Star Sports. Um, there was two William Hill offers before the event started. Um, that was offered two over five tournament 170 checkouts. And I think there were seven. And um, it, oh, at Skybet, we had 890 plus 180s, a nine dart finish, and five 
170 checkouts in the tournament at 5-1, to one, which um, was looking good other than the 9-dart finish all the way up to the final. ...to find a break of throw in this set if he wants to level up the World Championship final. And Michael Van Gerwen is in any mood to give him a sniff. Yeah, the, the combination finishing in this game is going to be key. You can tell by the way they're scoring, there may be nothing in it. They may both be on nines. Michael may miss and Michael may hit. They're both on nines. They're both on a nine. This is insane. Wow, the World Championship final. Michael Van Gerwen is on a nine data in the World Final and just misses double 12. Over to you, Michael Smith. One man misses, does the other man. he can speak can he speak um so in terms of the darts that we put on the tracker um we put 120 bets on and that was an roi pretty decent roi of 10.4 percent and weirdly um 2022 was actually a losing year in darts well no it was actually almost exactly break even it was like 15,900 staked at £11 profit. So it's like, what's the point? But that was over 174 bets. And then there was, you know, the 10% ROI in the PDC World Championships. Finished 2022 on a high for the darts tool, which now has a long-term ROI very similar to the PDC World Championships. 10.6 if you're flat staking and 13.8 if you're Kelly staking. So I was down and the tracker was up, but that's because I was mostly doing exchange bets. How many did I do as well? I don't think I did that many. Uh, oh, I did the same, 113. That's more than I thought I was going to do. So here's um, why I was vastly different. Um, I was using the tool to have a, a look really at most 180s and total 180s. And on markets, there was just pretty much no liquidity in those markets. And so... I mean, literally, it could be empty. And so what I would do is I would put, um, I'd probably start off at about 30 to 40% ROI on both the back and the lay side. And then if people leapfrogged me, I'd narrow that into 10%. And uh, it's a question of see if it goes. And so what you've got there is I've got two bets on both sides. And all I'm asking for is um, for them to be taken. And the over or the under could be taken, one or the other. You know what I mean? Whereas... Um, it looked like it was a good year for the 180s, um, uh, like 50 180s more than was expected were thrown, which is quite a significant amount. And I think I was mostly on 
the under, so people were backing the over, and I was therefore laying the under, or you know, other way around. I was people were laying the over, and I was backing the under. But however it works, I was mostly on the under. Or if I was on most one eighties, the guys that were trading out um, were either the losers, or if I was on the winners, only like just a few quid was being traded because these are such quiet markets. I was finding that I wasn't getting a lockdown until right up at the off. So unless I was, I was trying to have a bet in every um, match. I don't know if I succeeded in that or not. But um, it was one of the sort of like my graph. It's like I lost and then I won. And when we got to the middle of the tournament, I was break even. And then I pretty much just well, the the second third quarter, the third quarter of the event was just hell on hell on earth. It's a bit strong. You know what? When I'm looking at people and they talk about dumpster fire, brutal run, stuff like that, I always look at the language and think, you've got to um, discourse this better because it's a mentality thing. And here, here am I just calling a very minor 25-bet losing run hell on earth. But what I mean is that there, were just very, it was, there was a large cluster of losers in a row. And then I broke even in the last 25%, but it was a net down. Um, so, it's yeah, it's one of those. I think... Um, if, like I can see here, minus £10.23, like I wasn't staking £10.23 on any market, that's just partially gone. Um, and I, so I think a lot of the, the wins, here's a win of £23.65, I don't stake to win £23.65, and next to it is a win of um, of £12.40, I don't stake to win £12.40, so in those, just pennies have been matched and they've won. And so perhaps there was an element of being slightly unlucky with, you know, the winning bets weren't getting matched in total. But it is what it is. It was, um, it was, it was a decent tournament. There was one thing I was kind of adding and looking at, thinking about enhancements um, for the new year. Because one of the things I've noticed during talking to people during these clinic calls, it's very interesting to hear about the sort of edges that people are getting on at bookie bashing, is that a lot of people actually use the 180s tool for um, working out value themselves. Uh, and the one, that surprised me because I didn't know if anyone really used it. It was like a toy I built primarily for myself. And I, saw it, I pushed it live because I thought it was interesting. And I genuinely didn't think other people did. And it transpires that they do. So now that they do, I've been trying to think about improvements that we could make to it. And... Um, my cat is going absolutely bananas downstairs. So please give me a second and I'm going to find out what's going on and I'll be back. Yeah, she had a mouse. Like she, I don't know how old she is, 100 years old in human years. Seriously, how old is she? She's 15? Is it like seven years for the first year? 15 years for the first year and 7 years for every year after that. So she's got to be nearing 100. And she's chasing a mouse around downstairs. She actually waits until I'm talking on the Bashcast, which, when the house is empty, for to make an absolute racket. What was I talking about? I was talking about the darts. I was talking about an improvement that we were going to make to the darts. And that is that we have this Handicaps tool. And so I tried out the Handicaps tool on the darts. And it was Michael Van Gogh that made me sit up and notice this because our handicap market comes from Bet365, right? And what we do is we look for the alternative handicap market in American football, in darts, in snooker, 
snooker's coming actually in basketball and if we can find it we build a little plot between the maximum and the minimum handicap lines that they have on bet 365 and we sort of extrapolate the curve that they're using now we did extrapolate further and it stood up for loads of games and then in one rugby game which was england i think versus japan when you went all the way down to the match odds it, at that point didn't match what was on the exchange i think the exchange had japan at 10 and the extrapolation curve had it at six. And it was really the first of hundreds of games that we looked at where it hadn't tied up at the extrapolation. But the exchange was liquid enough to prove that the extrapolation had gone wrong. So what we've done is we take we took away all points outside of the range. And um, we, um, we're working on the extrapolation curve just now. A lot of work has gone into it and it's going to be back. Um, but it's also going to bring in, you know, if the match odds is liquid in the exchange, then... Um, the 0 0.5 handicap is, line is going to be there. So it's quite interesting in darts because in the second round of the darts, which is where I first picked this up, it was first of three, so best of five. And um, you could build the entire market at Bet365 because they offered you minus 2.5 on all the way to plus 2.5 on both players. And incidentally... Michael Van Gerwen won his second round 3-0 against Louis Williams, averaging 101.84 against 81.79. So I, re I, I noted this because it was value on the exchange, and I was wondering why is it value on the exchange? And then I noticed that Van Gerwen, well, one, it wasn't liquid. Um, two, Van Gerwen 3-0 was just boosted everywhere to something um and so i was like well this market feels like it's biased to me and i reckon i could build a market especially when the numbers aren't too far away from you know aren't too low or too high in the minus two in the alternative handicap market which they're not at bet365 when they do get down to 1.2 and lower and um, that's when bias can start having an effect and you're doing a little bit of guessing but um, it was okay in um, this particular market. And I was toying around with this, was that we could build the correct score market from the handicap curve that Bet365 has. Because unlike in NFL or basketball, we are capped on the number of games at, in darts and in the number of frames in snooker. And so because we're capped, we can build an entire market. And I was like, this is a new... This is exciting. This is a new way to go. And then round three came along. And that was the first of four, the best of seven. And then Bet365 limited the handicap offering there. Now, we could work it out from other markets, but I didn't want to. I wanted to stick on one market and use that to work out. Sometimes I wonder if it's the same model that these guys use for correct score and an alternative handicap because they don't stand up. In fact, in one in one um, market, I saw that you could Dutch bet 365 against itself if you took one player to win 3-0 and the other player plus 2.5 in a in a first to three. So those two markets, one player to win 3-0 and the other player to win plus 2.5, that's a complete market. There's no other situation that can happen in the darts match than one of those two situations. And yet, if you add them together, you got something like 97%. Um... So how come Bet365 have got two different markets 
with two different numbers that can be dutched together. So I, I do wonder if they use a different model. Why would they, though? I don't... Confuse the hell out of me. You shouldn't be able to duck bet 365 against yourself. wonder what happened if you, to your account if you did. Anyway, so... We have to sort of establish from that where the bias is, where it's more reliable, and all of these things are a big picture thing. There'll be, obviously, if Bet365 have got a dutchable market in between themselves, there's going to be some times when the number at Bet365 is going to be wrong. But if you're looking at at scale, if you come up with a 1,000 plus EV bets, how many times is it that it's Bet365 that's incorrect? All 1,000 times? I don't think so. You know, even if it was... 75% of the time it was the markets and 25% of the time it was Bet365. Then, because Bet365 simply can't always be the wrong price, the outlier. They've got to get it right sometimes. Then even if it was 75% of the time, then that is enough to be a profitable strategy. So I thought I could use the alternative handicap to come up with the correct score. And then when we got to the third round and it was best of seven, I noticed that we couldn't, we couldn't build the entire correct score market. We could build a lot of it. I think there would be a couple that were missing. So that was what I was focusing on. And then my next thought is, how can... I mean, look, look if you were going to do this by first principles, uh, things like averages and 180s and checkout percentages all go into Markov chains, and then you simply work out the different probabilities of various outcomes happening and add them all together, and you end up with the um, the match winner from that and if you have your own data set for darts if you're able to scrape dart by dart um, I you can actually find that there is a big discrepancy between efficient data sets and the market I think the markets are pretty weak and I think darts matches is pretty beatable if you had access to you know some of these players that are much less known are in round one in the PDC World Championships, such as, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Florin Hempel and Cameron Menzies. There's not a lot of data, checkout percentages, 180s and things on these guys, but you could get it. Various online repositories have, you know, dart by darts, even though they, they might sort of store it for a few days and then delete it. And if you just got hold of that and kept it and then ran a model based on these Markov chains, you could, it, there's EV in the match odds markets. And I wanted to go down that route, but couldn't find a way of effectively scraping the darts data and making it clean and nice. Um, I might do in the future. Whether we put that on BB or not, I don't know, because BB is all around benchmarking what's in the markets instead of pricing um, things up from first principles. Um, but, for what, well, from data that we collect. But it'd be good, and there's things out there. Anyway, Van Gerwen... Um, he In the third round, he played um, Mensa Suljevic. He beat him 4-2. In the fourth round, he played Dirk van Dijvenbode, who has the best walk-on song, like hard techno, like Gabba music. It's like, I don't care that nobody <laughs> wants to listen to this. I want to listen to it. And so, um, yeah, I love Dirk van Dijvenbode. Also in round four was Dimitri Vandenberg against Kim Hybrids. And um, I noticed that Dimitri Vandenberg was boosted, I think, to 11 to 2. And I made his fair odds 4.81. Now, that's an enormous value bet. And, okay, it's a boost. Who cares about a boost? But actually, I'm more, I more care about if 
in an enormous value bet we're going to get value on the exchange and then i noticed that william hill had boosted it from nine to two to eleven to two and i thought well you know what um if the from often they go from nine to two and then you look at the market price and it's nowhere near nine to two i mean I, so they shouldn't do that by the way but um they, in this case it was nine to two so i'm like okay market price is nine to two what's everyone else offering and i saw seven to two at sky I saw three to one at somewhere else. I did see a couple of four to ones, I think at Paddy Power. So I'm seeing market prices from Dimitri Vandenberg, 5.5, 4.81. I'm making 4.81 from the minus 3.5 at Bet365. Did I trust it enough? Um, there was a wide range of opinion on this one. I went with it. I also went Gabriel Clemens, 4 0, very thin at 11, 10.7, and Luke Humphreys, 4 0. 7 6.3 but there was 6.8 on the exchange for that one so starting at this point to hit the exchange is 4-0 and Dimitri Vandenberg did beat Kim Hybrids as the underdog in that game as well 4-0 which brought us into the quarterfinals and um, Van Gerwen was playing Chris Dobie and Van Gerwen 5-0 was 9-2 at uh, Paddy Power but my god you should have seen the exchange graph for him i think um someone i'm tempted to think that somebody did a super boost on him or something like that because he traded between 4.0 and 8.0 pre-tournament so i have no idea what's going on there with van gerwen five nil it was flying around that um and if you were able to get 8.0 in the exchange you were doing well i think i got 7.2 i don't have it in front of me it'll be somewhere in that market's history God, why don't I, why don't I build, bring it up? Um, oh, because that's why, because I took all the bloody bet titles out, so I can't be bothered. But I was on Van Gogh and 5-0. I was pretty convinced that 4.61 was pretty much on the money, comparing it to the market conditions. And again, that was from minus 4.5 at Bet365. That one won as well. And all of a sudden, the handicaps market was turning into one of the more profitable ways of benchmarking value for me mega small sample size but it makes me sit up and notice as a sort of new edge and as i said i could only do it really on the tenil because um i couldn't complete the correct score market without a full set of alternative handicaps so it's mainly that like the favorite to win to nil was possible but i, um, I, c I certainly couldn't get the underdog to win to nil uh, um and then in the final there was no value in the final which was bananas um but there was that insane sort of two nine darters in one leg and a bit of thin value on Michael Smith. Most 180s at 1.5, but who enjoys betting at 1.5? So what are we going to do in 2023? I think, um, I mean, I've just linked up the Bahrain Masters now, but I think I want to do more work on this correct score market building. I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it. But I want it to come from the markets. I, I, ideally, actually, I want it to come from my own data set, but I don't have that. I want it to come from the markets. Um, I don't know how... But not knowing how something's going to work has never stopped me before. Um, it's a case of trying a load of different things, trying some logic, and always sense checking everything. You know, if you come up with a price and it's simply always higher on the exchange, then you probably you, you definitely have done something wrong. If you come up with a price and it's generally light on the exchange, and then the exchange is sometimes a little bit bigger, that means you could be wrong. Or that means that you've discovered the exchange's value very occasionally. In fact, if you're mostly the same as the exchange and 
very infrequently you see the exchange of value that's probably the case because you've got your own model so yeah um the idea is somehow to, look we're not going to just do it and push it if we don't think it's right if we do it and it's wrong and it doesn't work and it doesn't stand up to testing then it won't be pushed but yeah the correct score market in darts is definitely something that i want to look at in 2024 right so the player xg model little project i've got on the sideline is um going from uh, strength to strength, efficiency to efficiency, is that uh, upgrade to upgrade is getting there, slowly but surely. It's been going on for about a year just now. It's nearing where I wanted it to be at the start. These things take so long. So um, a recap of how it works, essentially. We have a, an AGS price that we try and get from the exchanges because that factors in the playing time, the expected playing time, whether they're going to be on the bench or whether they're going to come off at half time if we can't get it from the exchanges then we'll get it from either the best bookmaker price across 10 bookmakers or if the back price at betfair is higher then we'll use that instead and it, it's a palaver getting the names from the bookmakers because you're looking at like 10 bookmakers live all the time bringing them into one place and then trying to merge all the synonyms of pierre emmerich Aubameyang across all these different Leagues, the Premier League, the World Cup, the Korean players, um, the French League One, the Scottish League Two. Anyway, it's all it's all working as it should just now, and we reverse engineer the XG from the AGS price that we have, and from that we can project forward with some in-house probability distributions for two plus and three plus, you know, um, and come up with FGS by player XG divided by match xg and some ddhh stuff now the next step in the process was always to you know we've got every player on the bench not starting not even on the bench and starting in one big list all the way up to team news and the next thing to do was to bring in an api that would give us team news that's taken a long time to do but we've got there finally so now what we can do at team news as we can plug in the api we can say right these 20 players are starting because we don't get expected goals for goalkeepers so 20 outfield players are starting so what we know is that 90.2 percent or 90.8 percent of goals are scored by the starting 20 players 9.2 percent are st scored by substitutes and that's in the era of five substitutes a game um Difficult to have a large sample size there, but we're monitoring and refining it. So what I want to do is I want the team XG to come in and then normalize it so that the sum of all of the XGs on the pitch equals the match XG, or even the sum of the players in a team equals the team XG, multiplied by 0.92, assigning some XG to the substitutes. And then if Haaland was big EV on the tracker, and then he starts on the bench, he's going to have zero XG at the time that we know that, and therefore... He'll, be, he'll have no probability and he'll drop off the tracker. And all of that will happen automatically, but only after team news. In fact, about 15 minutes after team news, because it takes 5 to 10 minutes for the API to send the data to us, and then it takes about 5 minutes to cycle through all the calculations. One complexity, again, is going to be synonyms. They're going to, we can only normalize if we have matched 20 players. And we've been testing this, and we can't even match 20 players in the big premiership matches. So what you'll do is you'll log in, and you'll see, can't normalize this game because... 
Um, 19 of 20 players were matched, but one player wasn't. And because it tells us that in the background, if we're ever free, we'll go in, the BB team will go in, and they'll match that missing player, and that will trigger the normalization process. However, um, we're often not uh, 6.45 to 7.45, such an awkward time in weekdays. In, that, in those cases, we won't have it done by team news, uh, by kickoff. We'll do it the next day. Now, it's not going to change it that much. Identifying the most starting 20 XG is equal to the match XG between about 2 or 3% either way. So it's just going to refine the XG by about 2 or 3%. The AGS will change a little bit, and that means it'll deviate from the exchange, and that's fine because that just means that the exchange is inefficient and so we can get some edge there. But more importantly, it will refine FGS 2 plus and 3 plus. Um, and in the future, I want this, um, um, later this year, I want this UI interface, this graphical interface of a football pitch with 10 players on each side. And if you are one of the more advanced users and you know about the formation of football teams and the formation comes in as a 4-4-2 in the API, but you know that Haaland is actually starting right up front as a 4-4-1-1, drag Haaland forward. And if you think you know that more than the markets do, what you'll see is the probability distribution changes. More XG is assigned to Haaland. Drag a defender forward into midfield. His XG will change. And it'll be redistributed throughout the rest of the team so that the match XG doesn't change, but the player XGs do. And then their AGS prices and their FGS prices will change as well, and their 2 plus and 3 plus. And you might be able to go and exploit the exchanges with the information that you think that you have over the majority of the market. So I am monitoring this tool against the exchanges. We have bookie bashing FGS, where we generally find that the headline well-known strikers that attract the recreational money, we make those a lot of the time higher fair odds than is available even on the exchange. So when it's the other way around, when the exchange has higher fair odds than us, maybe with midfielders and defenders, technically we're making that plus EV. Well, two weeks ago, I started recording everything that was plus EV because I wanted to know how that performs, how accurate that is. Good grief, we collect a lot of data. In that time, we've collected data on 730 players in just two weeks. All of these we made to be plus EV on the exchange. That means that for one second or more, the exchange price was higher than our fair odds. Of those 720-odd, how many do you think were voided? Quickly, in your head, how many do you think didn't start or came on after the first goal? 219, nearly a quarter. Isn't that a lot? That would be from like prices that were traded before Team News and then they just sat there after Team News. That would be why. Um, of those 749 players, um, I'm trying to monitor how the fair odd, how the... Um, ROI is working and this brings so much complications in itself one there's a complication that 30% of the team names uh, the player names don't match don't match the results service you have to go in and manually change those two you then have to do the bit well if the guy played for three minutes okay he didn't come on when the first goal was scored but what if he played 45 minutes was there a goal scored by then so it's like playing time comes in what if he played 60 minutes did that mean he started or did that mean he came on in the 30th minute um, so players that play less than 90 minutes that's complicated to work out and then finally what am I tracking I mean what's fair to track okay so you, I'm, I'm looking just now at the best EV so we've said if a player goes over 100% 
after 10 years, he's, a, he's technically someone that we've said is a good player on the exchange, so log him. And tell me what the best EV was. Not necessarily the best back price, but the best EV, because as the back price raises, the fairers should raise as well. Monitoring the best back price is nonsense on the exchange. You could put a blindfold on and just bet at the top price that anything trades at and you'll be profitable. So, um, but it's the best EV. And then I was like, well, that's that's quite optimistic. Imagine you want, you're not going to go to the player XG tool at the exact moment a player is the best EV every single time and, um, and then bet on him. That's unrealistic. So the best EV isn't right. So what's right? Well, I mean, let's take an example. The other day, Dan Byrne in Newcastle versus Leicester was 55 on the exchange. And I know this because I was trying to get him at 55 and I didn't. I did get the other defender, Shaw. And he was 51.45 at some point on... 51.75, sorry, on the player XG tour. Now, he wasn't, 50, he wasn't plus EV at Team News and he wasn't plus EV at closing um, line. But he was plus EV at some point. So let's just say we take all the closing line um, value. Well, we wouldn't be logging Dan Byrne. But somebody would have logged on seen him. I did. Seen him as plus EV. So we should probably log him. How do you log the EV of the fair odds of a dynamic tracker like this? It's complicated. Do you remember in statistics when you went through the averages and the one that you never used was the mode? I think the mode might be the one. It's not even the mean. It's the mode. It's probably we have to log the... Take a player like Dan Byrne. For some seconds, he will be these back and these fair odds. For more seconds, he will be these back and these fair odds. And you've got to say, what was he for the most amount of seconds? What was the mode back and fair? And that might mean that he's negative EV. So we might be tracking negative EV players, which is fine because you would expect negative EV players to make a loss. You would expect positive EV players to make a profit. If you were to bet on all 900 of those flat staking at the best EV, which you're not going to, you would have lost money all the way up to the end of December, and then you would have gone on a crack and run all the way up to first week of January, um, including commission, 2% commission, you'd be looking at 3.5% ROI on the exchange, 5% if you can get hold of a 0% commission account, which again is unrealistic. So these things like, I want to, Recording these at scale is a massive amount of synonym work and a massive amount of data logging. And then even then, I'm not even sure how to report on the performance. So the best that we can do is report on all the different metrics, what you have at best EV, what you have at average EV, what you have at mode and what you have at closing line. The one thing I'm not going to do is monitor everything because there are so many players that are negative EV and never get to positive EV. Well, one, I, would, I wouldn't expect those players ever to be looked at. And two, if we're going to introduce every single player from every League One game, every Bundesliga game, every um, La Liga game, then we're just going to be here for hundreds and hundreds of hours matching up synonyms for players that really that nobody's looking at. So we're not going to do everything because it's too hard. It's too much work. It's too much effort. It's too much resource. The other thing I wanted to do was a scorecast model. So Salah to score and Liverpool to win 2-1 is a mathematical conundrum that should be easy. There should be a straightforward, logical progression into that from first principles, given that I know Salah's XG, Liverpool's XG, and the opposition's XG. It should be just 
looking at all possibilities. And in that, everything loses other than Salah scoring two goals and nobody else scoring for Liverpool and the opposition getting one. Or Salah scoring one goal, somebody else in Liverpool that isn't Salah scoring another goal, so Liverpool XG minus Salah XG, multiplied by the opposition getting one goal. So there's only two permutations of that winning. It's Salah getting both goals or one goal. Right? And you can do this for any scorecast. So I did it, and I broke it down into first principles, and then I got my result, and it made every single bet on the exchange plus EV, meaning something's wrong with my maths. But I can't figure out what. I mean, that, that sounds bulletproof. So I, I did it again, and it still made everything on the exchange plus EV. So something's wrong. Like, I'm not saying everything on the exchange is plus EV, because it isn't. But it just isn't. If it was, it would have been found by somewhere else by now who was faster and cleverer than me and swept up. But at the same time, I can't see what's wrong with my maths. So uh, I've, set, I've sat down for three sessions to look at Scorecast. The fourth session's next week. The f- session's next week. We, we, you get there in the end, and every time you do it, you do it more... You're, you're more intelligent and you're more experienced. But this one's just sticking stork, Scorecast for some reason. It's just... I cannot figure it out. So, yeah. Um, that's the updates on the... Player XG shenanigans that are going around. <laughs> so I cocked up, and I want to talk about me cocking up. Why not? Hand to the air. Hey, I said it last time. Uh, maximize your successes, don't minimize your failures. You can maximize your successes. In life, you'll be fine. If you minimize your failures, you can do that very easily by doing nothing. Combo bets. Um, mad variants. Have done pretty well on them, historically. Um, it's what they're, they're one of those divisions of betting where I get... I'm, I'm very happy for the private feedback that I get because the private feedback that I get seems to be very different to the public feedback that I get. The public feedback is always um, language such as, oh, brutal, right? it's been brutal since the World Cup. It has been brutal since the World Cup, understandably. Um, but it was good before then. Um, bloodbath and horrific and words like this. Um, and then in private, I hear from people that have found particular niches and particular edges. My one that I had was the What's On Paddies on 3 Plus Goals. They did they did variety. It was at 3 Plus Goals, 6 Plus Corners. What was it? <laughs> no, 3 Plus Goals, 4 Plus Cards and 6 Plus Corners. And 3 Plus Goals, 4 Plus Cards and 9 Plus Corners. And 4 Plus Corners. So it was all of them the same game. And what you would find is that they were utterly terrible. Uh, pricing these up compared to just conventional multiplication of the um, three attributes, which would be a bit optimistic because when a team is getting corners, they're less likely to be getting goals because they're not getting goals because they're being saved and going over. But even allowing for a little bit of that, there seemed to be years ago huge EV on these. I heard empirically that... The new graduates who were in charge of, you know, the, the, the paddy power prices, the concessions were put in charge of pricing up the what's odds paddies and at paddy power. And I can only imagine that um, 
you have several inputs that you put in, like the expected number of corners go in and the expected number of goals and the expected number of cards, probably by team and by period. And then whatever model Paddy Power has spits them out. So the only way they could really get them wrong is if they're inputting them wrong, the, the, the source data. And I imagine they probably were because a lot of that time they were bad, but when they were good, they were very, 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 very good. And I wasn't the only person that knew that. Quite a lot of people were aware of this. So what we tried to do is formulate the combo bets. So we scraped Paddy Power, William Hill, Skybet, and Betfred, pick your pumps. So we're a couple of years on now. I started this in early 2020. Um, and we've just got an unbelievable amount of sample size of data. How many bets do we have since um, the 1st of April 2021? Sorry, it wasn't 2020, it was 2021. So, yeah, uh, 16,136 bets. Right, so I did a review of the different bets by type, and I updated the results. And I started afresh. You should have seen the state of my Excel spreadsheet. It was so clumsy and badly put together that any time you just did anything, like asked it to do anything, like you know, calculate a single cell, it was full of both VLOOKUPs, but also it's trying to find text within strings over 16,000 rows and it's doing that on every row and I think that just kills the processing power of Excel so it was just taking forever and locking up forever you did anything to the point that I couldn't use it anymore so I started afresh I said just give me the original data and I'm just going to build the spreadsheet again and I did that for this review and I cocked up and here's the cock up I didn't think that we would have voids in the data because why would you have a voided game that and like an hour before the event the answer of course is coronavirus uh there have been a few um snowstorms there were 23 legitimate games i went through all 23 just to check that they were all voided and they, they all were they were all voided and so all of those combo bets relating to those games were void and in my equation i didn't know i was going to have voided bets or in my data set and so my equation said if it says it's a loss call it a loss otherwise call it a win and of course what that did is it made all the voids wins and i published this blog and i updated the data and all of the voids were wins and i was saying that we had three percent roi on the combo bets um and that was including all of the voids as a win, which obviously I shouldn't have done. So that was the cock-up. And then when I did that, I got, this was a Saturday morning, I got up off my seat and I got into the car and I went to London on the bloody bus because of tube strikes for my friend Emma's 40th. Um, her partner, James, he's got this cool job. He styles architecture um, as an artist. So he does these architectural structures as art outside big NFL stadiums in America. He'd hired a pub down in London. It got messy. Five o'clock in the morning, we ended up back in someone's house in Camden or something like that. I don't do five o'clock in the morning very well, to tell you the truth. But because I knew it was going to be a slightly messy evening, I didn't take anything with me other than my mobile phone because you're, like, you're going to lose your mobile phone. My friend Mills had a mobile phone nicked out of her handbag that night as well. 
So I didn't have any way of fixing it. And as I'm on the bus, someone writes in to tell us, oh, yeah, all your voids are wins. That's wrong. And I'm like, oh, God, you're right. You know what I mean? So I cocked up. And uh, I found it very frustrating because I don't like things to be wrong. It's one of those that if I was out for dinner near my house, I would leave the dinner table and go and fix it before I... Because I can't continue that. That's my OCD. So the net result of all of this was... I just had to take down both the results pages and the blog whilst I was on the way to London and have them offline for the entire time. And I couldn't communicate the mistake very effectively because uh, I didn't have access to Discord or any of my work stuff. And I was, I was, I really genuinely felt really bad. Like I'd stripped myself of technology to get on a bus to go to Heathrow and then get to the centre of London to go on a big one. And um, the, the, it was the one time where I just couldn't get back and rectify this mistake. And I, I dislike mistakes because, what is it that my wife said? Where's this little sheet that she had? She says, my wife works in, as a senior director in um, Siemens in collaboration. She says, trust equals reliability plus competency plus intimacy. So I wasn't reliable because I wasn't, because I, I just wasn't able to fix it. I'm not reliable. Um, I wasn't competent because I made the mistake in the first time. And I wasn't intimate because I wasn't able to communicate exactly what was going on because I didn't particularly feel like going to everybody. I'm on a bus to London on a piss up, so please bear with me until Monday when I get back because that's just not a good way of communicating with people. But it was the truth. I'd even sent a tweet out. Um, I'd, and I deliberately in the tweet picked uh, some uh, combination, combo bet that had been losing um, because I'm fed up with just everyone on Twitter just talking about winning and selective winners and I feel like I do a lot on golf although there has been a lot of golf winners so I wanted to just pick a winner a, a, a losing combo bet but even then because there was a risk that the exact number was wrong um, I deleted that and I also said um, as a comment under it if you're going to complain please just ask for a refund don't issue a chargeback because that annoys the matrix which is a reference to Mr Andrew Tate if you are a person that thinks that Andrew Tate is the kind of man that you need to grow up to be or grow into, then you need your head looked at. I 100% admire how he's done what he's done. He, I think, has sort of a pyramidy schemey thing going on where he gets people to post videos about him. And I think what he says is like something along the lines of if 80% of people dislike me and 20% of people adore me, then that's about the right ratio. So he's deliberately provocative. And so a lot of what he says, I don't think he means. I think he's deliberately pro provocative in what he says in order to build this social media following. And I can see right through it because I'm a 44-year-old man and uh, I can see him and I can look at him and I can hear what he says and I can make my own mind up that I would want nothing to do with that even though a lot of it is funny. But there's a lot of people that can't see through the mask of this bullshit about the Matrix and women being the property of men, which I don't even think he believes. And now all of these serious allegations around um, sex traffic and rape, where I really feel bad looking at the people that are defending this because um, um, it's got to be quite serious to have got to the stage that it is. Everyone's innocent until proven guilty, but also there's a, <laughs> to some people there doesn't seem to be any chance that this guy's guilty, and to me there seems to be every chance at this moment in time that this guy's guilty. So... Anyway, my Matrix comment was referring to the top G. The top G. <laughs> Calls himself the top G. Um, 
Anyway, I got home from the piss up and I repaired everything. So, if you're interested... Um, oh, someone commented on the... Um, yeah, the reason I did this was I got a comment from a guy that I blocked again. But um, we had like a, um, five ways of being a professional gambler video or something that Vivi put up on social media. And then someone replied to it. Number six, do not trust the EV of combo bets at Bookie Bashing. Oh, bloody hell. Taking it hard here. Look, everything is a decision support tool. What I do is I use this and then, of course, I haven't bet on 16,000 bets, but I narrow in on the particular area that I think is profitable and I hit it hard. I hit it hard, so hard on Paddy Power on the 3 plus, 6 plus, 9 plus. I remember that um, it was me and one other, my mate, who was um, hitting these hard and we went through such a purple patch and we, we, we really flew up past the £20,000 balance of Paddy Power very, very quickly. And then we were talking about, you know, how do we, what do we do? How much do we take out here? You gotta, you, at some point, you've got to take some out. You can't just... But we left it in and then we hit the just the most crazy losing run in about November 2020. And almost bust the balance of 20 grand simply betting on two three plus four plus and nine plus on paddy power what are paddies it, it went from it went from a ridiculous purple to a, a ridiculous losing um but the niches and the edges are out there similarly william hill card each half and things like that um one interesting thing i did and i didn't share i think um i didn't share because i haven't got I want to do some more work on it and put a narrative around it before I share it. Is um, combo bets ROI by bookmaker. Um, the best is Fred, four percent, and then Paddy three percent, and then William Hill two percent, and then Sky, who's a negative ROI. So, why is Sky the negative ROI? Um, could be finding noise and patterns. There could be something to it. You know what I mean? I mean, generally, Sky isn't that much different to a lot of the William Hill and Fred bets where they go team goals in the match over 1.5 and each team to have corners and cards. Well, that exists in all three or four of the bookmakers. So, I mean, why why would one be losing and the other be winning? I suspect it's noise, but I want to do a little bit more. And again, breaking them down by these... Um, um, combo bets by type well for starters how do i how do we talk about roi generally on combo bets so there's a weird thing we've got sixteen thousand combo bets but i don't report the roi of every of betting on every single one and the reason for that is some games have over 50 combo bets related to them and some games have one now if the game with 50 combo bets has zero goals, one corner, and two cards, which is very possible, then generally all of those combo bets are going to lose because combo bets are on the overs. Um, now, imagine you're betting on golf and you, on one tournament, you just bet on one 50 to one guy and then he wins. And then the next tournament, you bet on 50 guys ranging from. 10 to 1 all the way up to 100 to 1 with level staking. Well, and then somebody that you didn't bet on, one of the other 100 golfers in the field wins that event and the rest of them don't place. 
Well, you're going to be down. You could be using a good model, but you're going to be down doing that because the tournament that had 50 bets in it, all staking to win the same amount, cannot recover. If they all lose, it's such a loss, it's not comparable against the tournament where you had one bet to win the same amount. What would make more sense is if you had two tournaments and all your bets in both tournaments were to win a thousand pounds in total or whatever or 200 pounds in total which is a the number that i sometimes use and i pluck that out of thin air that makes more sense in terms of a reporting system for something like this where you can have 50 bets in one game and one bet in another game the other issue that i have is that this is a dynamic tracker and we report on anything that is plus EV for one second or more. But if something is plus EV for one second, it's going to be logged as a plus EV bet, even though 99.999% of its life it's spent as a negative EV bet. Meaning we would probably assume that this is a negative EV bet, but we are monitoring the ROI as if it's a positive EV bet. If you went onto the tracker at any particular time, you probably wouldn't see it because it pops up for one second, but we're still monitoring it. So we definitely have some bets that over their lifespan, we probably made negative EV and we are monitoring the ROI of them as if they are positive EV. How do you get around this? You normalize all the bets in a game so that you're staking the, to win the same amount in the game in total. If it's one bet per game, you're gonna win a thousand pounds if it wins. If it's 50 bets per game, you're gonna win a thousand pounds if all the bets win. That's what we're gonna do. So we don't have a sample size of 16,137 bets. We have a sample size of the column that tells me the games. 4,457 individual games, which is still a significant sample size. If you bet every game to win 200 pounds if all bets win, uh, you would have staked an incredible 417,000 pounds and made 5,000 pounds profit, 5,838 pounds profit and 29p for 1.4% ROI. It's not a big ROI. It's the smallest ROI at bookie bashing. Um, and that's why we don't push combo bets very much, but it's still taking these same game parlays that the bookmaker thinks are incredible for the bookmaker and we're returning 1.4% ROI on them. I think it's a bad narrative. If it's a team to score X plus goals and get X plus corners, we've got 2,213 individual bets, not games, not games. We're talking about the individual bets here. That's returning about 4% ROI, performing really well. And one of the bigger sets that is losing about 4% ROI is when you throw in to... Team, um, team to get X plus goals and X plus corners. Now match to get X plus goals, Y plus cards and X, Z plus corners is about a similar negative ROI. So some of them are positive, some of them are negative. The general all over is positive. Sky bets the bet, the bookmaker that's performing the worst. Betfred's the bookmaker that's performing the best. If you want to have a look at the combo bets results, they're available, they're publicly available in Bookie Bashing in the hub in the results section there's a, a spreadsheet where you can download it and i've added to that spreadsheet by request um the normalized stake so you know um if you are going to take every game and 
win £200 if every single bet wins. What would the normalised stake be there? And I've added that into the spreadsheet. It's a brief history of the cock-up that I did with the combo bets and why I didn't immediately fix it. It was because I went out on the lash. Forgive me. <laughs> Hey, it's a segment. Punters behaving badly, or just people behaving badly. I'm going to talk about three different things. I'm going to talk about um, unabated, some bookie bashing community, and everyone's favourite berry. It's not strawberry, and it's not blueberry. I'll leave you guessing as which kind of berry it is. Um, just dealt with someone this morning. So I don't whether you're interested or not, bookie bashing community is getting smaller few months in a row now where that's been happening. I think what has happened is um, the majority of people who join Bookie Bashing simply touch horse racing. That's it. Horse racing and nothing else. Because it really is the low-hanging fruit. It's the lucky 15s on the each way value. And it's the easiest thing to do. You're presented with the information. You don't have to learn anything. You don't have to use tools. You don't have to track anything. You don't have to do, go through the concepts of steamers. Um, you know, you just like look at the horses and place them. Um, in fact, we had someone, someone joined, what, I don't know, what do you reckon about this? Someone joined a month ago and we're asking a lot of questions around it and then got to the end of the month and um, they turned around and said they hadn't won any money. Could they have their money back? Could they have a refund? Could they cancel their account and have their refund? Um, which is an interesting concept. It's like, would you want more money if you had won? Do you know what I mean? Like, well, however much you thought you'd won, if you'd run hotter than that, would you pay us more money? And if that isn't the case, should we refund the guy? We've got to be very careful with refunds. Oh, I guess I'm not allowed to talk about it. I'm not allowed to talk about why we have to be very careful with it. But um, it can certainly... The, the, there is a certain risk around um, people being unhappy and um, how we're able to keep day-to-day -day operations going. But um, one of the reasons why... Um, I think the community is getting smaller, certainly from talking to people, is that if you simply, you could in the past open an account and hit lucky 15s on horses. And there are certain bookmakers where you can't do that or restrictions are so much faster these days than they used to be. One of those is Bet365. So what we know is that there are multiple people that you can find if you go and search. I wouldn't recommend doing this, but... They what they do is they have an account with Bookie Bashing and they run a bot, and it requests every few minute, every few seconds in some cases, um, information. It stores it, and then they resell the data to uh, a larger amount of people um, on various platforms. I won't name the platforms, and you can either use that data to bet with manually, or even you can have a bot, and you can. And there are quite a few people doing this. So one account that we signed up to us is then reselling the data to, in some cases, dozens, in some cases, over 100. Now, we're um, aware of who these people are. Um, one of the reasons why we haven't cancelled them yet is if we just cancel them, they just sign up again and we don't know who they are. So it's better knowing who the people are whilst we come up with a plan of what we're going to do with it. And I am not going to obviously discuss what the plan is that we are going to do with it although what i am going to suggest is that it's going to be coming to an end very soon um 
one of the things that people are caught up in is um, if anyone's using a bot for, say, refreshing the page, and they're using it legitimately, we just can't tell the difference between you as an individual user using it for yourself and the people that are scraping and reselling it. And unfortunately, some people who have been with us for a long time, I actually think they're very genuine and they're just using it for themselves and they're caught up in this mess. And the mess has to be, you have to look at bookie bashing with your own eyes and not use a bot or a tool to take the data off the site, simply because a handful of really bad people have been doing that and have, have actually been causing restrictions to happen. One of the funny things that I always see is that when people moan about losing runs, these people have to deal with that because they're selling it on the premise that it will just always win. But, um, yeah... I don't know. Do something better with your life than taking something from someone for free or whatever. Or even if you have a, an account and reselling it on, um, even though you, you're explicitly told not to. We actively monitor the size of the community at Bookie Bashing. We have edges that we don't share because they don't scale. And we have edges that do scale. And sometimes we've occasionally got it wrong. The great sports offers, I don't know. The thing about the great sports offers is the EV was so good that it was very difficult for us to stop publishing the graph and one person sharing it with 50 people. And they did die because of us, the great sports offers in William Hill shops. And people made tens of thousands of pounds on the great sports offers off the back of our charts. But what I know, I heard it subsequently, is that one of the people who was on, incidentally, £10 a month he was paying us and was always on my back if I was late, if I didn't have the graph up by 10am that showed the EV of all 25 offers. And one day I had to take my son to hospital and I remember I was, I was very late doing the graph and the abuse that this guy sent me. And I'm thinking, you pay me 30p a day. In fact, you don't even pay me 30p a day. You pay a business that I have to pay day-to-day -day running from. For 30, I think I get about 1p a day from you. And for the 1p a day, I'm getting this abuse. But what he was doing is he was passing it on to 50 people, 50 runners. And really hitting the great sports office hard. And there was no real way of protecting that. At Bookie Bashing, we have a number of different tools at our disposal. But one of them is ma m uh, managing the size of the community. Uh, we won't ever have 5,000 people with the edges that we've got just now. Maybe there are different edges and they do scale, but these edges don't. Where we fall down is the handful of people that are taking it and then distributing it to hundreds because we lose control of how many people it can be distributed for. Look, I don't care if you share it with your mate. You know what I mean? I share an edge with a mate or two. Everyone does. If you take data from bookie bashing, screenshot it and send it to your mate, nobody cares. Because that's what everyone does. I don't, but your mate would be better off having an account because they could log on at any time that they wanted to and use the tools and you could use private trackers. It would be better. But honestly, anyone that just does that for one other person, no one cares. And incidentally, we also know the people that are sharing an account and we're trying to limit it now and this is the technology that we have in place who's using bots who's refreshing who's sharing an account where we have to draw the line though is now everyone's caught up in the in the you can't use a bot you can't share an account just because of a handful of people and it's a shame but when we fix this which we are doing and it's going to come to an end very soon Hopefully what we see is in time, and I mean months, not days, restrictions should be fewer because if you think exactly the same horses from the bookie bashing tracker were being placed by these bots and by people 
on Bet365 and all Bet365 had to do was find the pattern. We reduce the number of people with access to that data and the pattern becomes harder for Bet365 and the restrictions in turn slow down. So that's the bookie bashing community. Over in America, you have the unabated community. Unabated is like a bookie bashing for Americans that looks at NFL, NBA, NCAAF, NCAAB, MLB, things like that. NHL are really American focused things run by Captain Jack Andrews and Rufus Peabody. Uh, Evna, our marketing lady, put a tweet out recently about which American person should we have on the Bookie Bashing podcast. And Rufus Peabody and Captain Jack Andrews featured very high in that list of people. So we reached out for them. Didn't hear anything. They were just too... were too... were too UK maybe for them i don't know so there was an interesting thing they had recently so captain jack andrews if you don't know who he is uh he says he's been an advantage player for over 20 years at times as times have changed and markets have evolved his preferred method of advantage play has evolved so he's dealt in blackjack video poker video poker is mostly video poker has like the minimum rtp or if you like, the minimum return to the casino. So the it's the smallest edge for the casino in brick-and-mortar casinos. And so if you have some sort of deal where the casino is offering you concessions based on your play, then you play video poker and you lose the least. Um, and, you know, concessions on top of video poker play can pretty much always be plus EV. He then looked at online casinos. His pursuit for most of the past decade has been sports betting as a professional gambler based in New Jersey. He has waited patiently for New Jersey to prevail in their long flight to return to PASPA. He actively bets MLB, NBA and NFL. But the focus uh, is the changing landscape of sports betting in the US as legalization proliferates. Isn't proliferate a great word? And Rufus Peabody professional better, co-founder of Unabated Sports, co-hosts the weekly podcast Bet the Process, which takes an analytical look at sports betting. Um, he did college football ratings, which helped him with the sports betting, spent a year as ESPN's predictive analy analytics expert. I wonder if Sky Sports Racing is a predictive analytics expert and has a BA in economics from Yale University, where he wrote his senior thesis on the inefficiencies of performance evaluation in major league baseball betting market. What a fun thing to do your bachelor's degree on, eh? And he's featured in Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Sports Illustrated, USA Today, ESPN, and the Sporting News. So that's Rufus Peabody. So these guys had um, released a tool in Unabated, and the tool is called, and Rufus tweeted about this on December the 2nd, 2022, so you can go have a look at this, Rufus, at Rufus Peabody. He says, our new teaser shopper is live and has a shareable feature, as you can see below, which a screenshot of it, and I was able to find an 11% edge at FanDuel, home of a not-so-generous teaser payout schedule give it a look uh, so what they've released here is um let's break this down 
So in, in American sports, uh, you'll, you'll be familiar with this. I'm teaching my mother to suck heads, but let's just break it down. American sports tend not to bet on the money line. They tend to bet on the points line. So the point spread will be minus 6.5 on one side, plus 6.5 on another side. And as smart money comes in for the team that are minus 6.5, then that line will start to drift upwards, minus 7.5, minus 8.5. More people think that team will win. The handicap increases, minus 9.5, minus 10.5. There's a great documentary on point shaving in Handicap's line in a guy that would have made the NBA had he not done this on Netflix. Go check it out. So what's a teaser? A teaser um, gives you a little bit of a margin of... The money line. It's a bit like saying um, Atlanta Falcons minus 8.5, tees to minus 2.5. So now they don't have to win by 9. They can win by 3 and the bet still wins. Now, of course, the odds of that bet are going to reduce. Uh, and a teaser parlay is where you have changed the line that is available standard, on the standard markets, the points line that is available, and you've teased that by six points each. Minus 8.5 comes to minus 2.5, plus 1.5 goes to plus 7.5, etc., etc. And if, instead of getting 10 to 11 or, you know, a roundabout evens for each bet, you're now maybe getting one to two or a reduced payout in each one. And a teaser parlay is just that multiple times. So you'll say, all of these different teams, but I want six more points than usual, or three more points than usual. That's the teaser. I want more points than I usually get. And it can work the other way. You can get less points and the odds grow. Now, why is a teaser parlay something that Unabated would have wanted to look at? Well, most of the attention in efficient lines is on the point line that is agreed across the book. Because if you look at the books, when they offer minus 6.5, all books will offer minus 6.5. Generally, they're scared of middles which means that you won't find a book offering minus 6.5 and another book minus 4.5 because a sharp better will come along, put those two together, and they've got a risk-free opportunity of it being minus 5.5 and both bets winning. So they tend, a few years ago, the bookmakers tended to say, look, let's all change our point spread at exactly the same time. Um, so... The efficient line is always the sort of agreed upon, upon points line. And then the teasers are less efficient because people are betting at minus 8.5. They're not betting at minus 2.5 or 3.5 or 4.5. So there's less attention on those lines. There's less sharp money. They're, they're not shaped as well. And what the guys at Unabated found is that because these are less efficient, they could more frequently find edges. I don't know how they benchmark them, but that's not important. They could they had a way of benchmarking the different lines and they they found value in them. I mean, it's something that you could easily do with a handicaps model that we have at Bookie Bashing. It could easily be set up to do exactly the same thing as they have. So a sort of combination between our handicaps model and our combo bets model equals unabated teaser model. Have you followed me? I think that's clear. So now we know what they've released. And on the same day, in fact, just a few minutes later, um, at PikaBets, Kukachu um, says, thanks for tweeting this so publicly so that the good people at the sportsbook can find it easily and change the teaser prices on you faster than you can say, wait, who fucked my wife?
That's not very good, is it? Um, 75 likes and one quote tweet. What's the quote tweet say? No quote tweets. I don't know why that happens. Um, and Rufus replied, uh, you're welcome on Boxing Day. Um, and Pika Betts replied to that narrative less than three weeks later. His wife was fucked. Um, Joey Kanish, who was a famous degenerate gambler over in America said um, FanDuel just increased the juice on their teaser pricing as in you're paying higher VIG now which it's the margin that you play uh, for the exact same teaser that you were a few weeks ago almost like nobody handed them a playbook on how to remove almost like somebody handed them a playbook on how to remove any edge when pricing teasers Merry Christmas from Unabated so what's Joey Kinnish saying there? He's basically saying that unabated have ruined the edge. Um, which they may have done. Uh, we've had we've certainly been accused of that before at Bookie Bashing. Um, I try and make it so that if we ever ruin an edge, it was an edge that we found in the first place. And perhaps this is an edge that wouldn't have been too difficult to find, or alternative line handicaps. And Unabated knew about it, and Joey Knish knew about it, and they were both betting on it. And I can understand why people would have been upset with Unabated if Unabated published this new tool and everything went away. It's maybe similar to releasing the combo bets tracker and seeing that three plus goals, four, six plus corners, and six plus cards and nine plus corners disappears value-wise in the what's on paddies, which may very well have happened. Um, Captain Jack Andrews replied to Joey Kanish, um, if you were playing NFL teasers at FanDuel, you were doing it wrong, Kanish. Not that anyone would be surprised at that. I have heard them saying that FanDuel are meant to be sharper now in terms of the length and pinnacles, but I don't know if that's true or not. We've brought pinnacle corners into, um, into bookie bashing, by the way. By the by, just in case anyone's interested. So now we used to take them from the midpoint of the spread. Now we ask if they're available at Pinnacle. Pinnacle published five different lines, although uh, they, they go like, um, you know, over 8.0, over 8.5, over 9.0, over 9.5, over 10.0. Well, we ignore the point zeros because that's a push. So we just take the point fives and there's a price factor into the push. We take the point fives, we find the closest one to evens. We use a reverse Poisson distribution to go from that to the mean, because although we have clustering, clustering is affected away from the mean, so the reverse Poisson should be okay. When we did that, actually, with the testers, we were getting like 9.33 corners in the West Ham game, where the midpoint of the spreads was 9.35. It was unbelievably close. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's quite far away. And so then the question is, who's more accurate, Pinnacle or the spreads? Just now we're saying Pinnacle, but we may introduce something where you can switch that to the spreads if you so think so i mean you get to the point where two different sources are saying two different things there's going to be value somewhere who do you believe anyway fangel's meant to be sharper than pinnacle these days that's why well i don't know if it was like fangel that wrote that 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 article that i read that said fangel's sharper than pinnacle maybe it was mike vivian replies um and he's he's got quotation marks here so he's pretending that he's unabated and he says um use our incredible teaser tool for only 99 dollars a month also 
LOL, if you bet teasers at the sites, it tells you there's value at. Um, Captain Jack said to him, sometimes you guys can't see the forest through the trees of your own trolling, but whatever, those who know continue to clean up at Fanjo. Um... And Storm replies to that, can I sign up for Unabated in to be in the know, or are you just publicly gloating about withholding something from paying customers? And someone replies, what a joke. And just to finish this, Jokinish says, well, folks, it looks like Captain Quack, which is Captain Jack Andrews, P-Brain, which is Rufus Peabody, and RX in Vegas have finally been exposed shitting on their own customers' eroding edges in the market for small personal gain and shilling a declining product. More like the direct path to bankruptcy. Am I right? Now, I am going to come into the defence here of Unabated. Here's what I think. Because, of course, Unabated and Bookie Bashing are going to be quite similar. I see a lot of Captain Jack Andrews in myself. Um, so I don't want to be too biased here. Um, if I was a customer, I would be nervous that Captain Jack, Rufus Peabody, did have a site where, as a professional gambler myself, they were coming up with new ways of making um, recreational betters sharp. And as a sharp better myself, I don't want to see more sharp recreational betters. And I have to understand that a lot of my customer base, who are already sharp, might have the same fears. And this is why... When we do things like the golf, the horse racing track, and we're focusing on the BB Algo, which is something we did ourselves. We didn't take an edge. We did our own edge. When we're coming up with the probability distribution in golf, when we're doing the Eurodes, the coefficients, and the bet builder, they're all our own work. We're not trying to take something that already existed and say, everybody have it, and let's ruin it. But there will have been occasions when we have done that. Again, when we're looking at player XG, I'm genuinely trying to beat the markets, including the exchanges in goal scorer bets, instead of the lower hanging fruit of just telling... I mean, I could go out and tell everybody um, just where the odds are on two plus goals. But guess what? There wouldn't be that many odds on two plus goals after I, after I cre created a tool to do that. And that's where the trust has to come in, right? You have to trust me that I wouldn't just create, create a tool that, one tells you where the obs are on two plus goals because you just go out there and bet them and lay them off if that's what you want to do. The other thing is edges on the exchange. Everybody asks for us to stop giving golf edges at soft bookmakers and to ask us to give golf edges on the exchange. This week, I sent out David Lipsky. And by the, at the time I sent him out, he was steaming in. And he had about 8 quid available at 220.0. And he continued to steam in to about 160 or something like that. What am I meant to do there? How can I tell people to go and take that? I can't. If you're going to take that um, edge on the exchange, you have to be out there using tools to find those prices yourself. I can't possibly tell you where they are. Because if I tell one person, he sweeps it all up and then everyone else gets annoyed. I have sympathy with... Um, unabated here I genuinely think that they're not in the market to you know just take as much $99 a month they can off people before bankruptcy in the same way that boogie bashing aren't they're trying to create a sustainable community of sharp bettors I, and I hope that they're aware and are conscious 
of the sustainability and the size of their community and the edges that they're trying to promote. Um, I don't know how big Unabated is. How big is their Twitter? Unabated. At Unabated. Let's have a look. At Unabated. They've got 14,500 followers. That's like 10 times the amount Bookie Bashing has. But the, the, there is a problem with that. I mean, I don't know how many members that translates to, but if they've got 10 times the members that Bookie Bashing do, then anything edge that they put out there, they've got to remember that there's a bell curve of members, of customers. And the majority will just put on what they can afford, and that's sustainable. And the, at the bottom of the bell curve, you've got the low-staking um, members, who, of course, must be catered to as well. But, you know, there may be the guys that are struggling to cover the subscription costs, the betting so low. And then on the top end, you've got the, the high-stakes players who are betting so much through so many people. Those are your problem. And the bigger your community is, the longer that tail of high-staking people is, especially in America, where there's so much more economy and disposable money. So those guys at the top of the bell curve, if unabated have a community 10 times the size of ours, any thin edge, such as a, a combo bet tracker, or such as possibly a, um, a teaser shopper, is just going to end up with the edge closed. I think it would be more proficient for them to come up with tools, probability distributions, and allow people to go and sort of find them themselves without being told exactly where they are. The word that they probably got wrong was shopper. Because at, at that point, they tell them that go and bet on this exact parlay, this exact bookmaker, one person's going to do that. And then the next person's going to see the odds slashed, as Joey Kanish says. It's a situation where they would probably didn't foresee it coming. And if they want to talk a lot more about sustainability within a betting community, because betting communities work both ways, of course. You have... A benefit of a pooled amount of knowledge you have a lot more eyes shaping and correcting anything that might be incorrect um, and that can be beneficial so if they want to talk about any of that I'm definitely here and welcome and open to discussion with them because we don't have that many people this side of the coin but one of those people is a berry Khan Berry, the Donald Trump of the gambling sphere, the major general of the matched bettors, the forerunner of the free bet club, the harbinger of the hedges, the leader of the layers, a man so adverse to risk, he once touched the office Grand National sweepstake. Now here is a man who served our country in the forces. For that, I have the utmost respect, and I mean that genuinely. But I also know exactly how he got to where he is today and there are no bunk beds in the graveyard Khan. there's no smoke without fire there's no darts without van gerwen there's no palps without hedgehogs Khan is the thinking man's mr bean the anaheim ducks of the nhl the kaiser so say that decided to go into charity work i'm not convinced he's actually real ai generation is so good these days it's hard to make up a more hard-nosed done his luck fed up with the naughty bookmakers punters champion Khan. the can he really bury he was at least the source of an opening line in a speech i made last year when i took a gulp out of a fruit drink and choked 
gasping at the audience to my god what flavor is this ah it's the tears of cornberry to which someone from the audience shouted is it salty i swear to god that was my best line of 2022 possibly of the last decade and it's all in friendly jest i'm not here for a war of attrition nor to make enemies you do you i'll do me even if you is the opposite of me and this brings me to khan's modus operandi the betting is unfair. He is a one-man crusade against restrictions. He is Jean Valjean, prisoner 24601, rising up against the tyranny of the evil bookmaker. And this argument makes me sick, primarily because it forces me, de rigueur, to side with Jeff Banks. How dare you put me in this position, Khan? That makes me feel uneasy. But Khan is not the punter's champion, and Banks is right. The part of the equation that Barry misses is that operators absolutely, completely, and totally should be avoiding customers like me. And they should definitely be avoiding customers like him, more so than me. The king of the match betters doesn't ever slip up. Every penny that he puts up is taken out of the environment with an added percentage on top. At least I make mistakes. At least I come up with some modelling and put it out there and refine it and give up on it if it hasn't been right. Anyway, the latest video of the shocking finger-to-the-mouth, absolutely rage-filled, cannot-believe-it videos that are the biggest amount of clickbait that I've ever seen. He is the king of clickbait. That is for one thing. Um, Is... Some of his most extraordinary work. So let's just delve into a little bit of it now. It all started when Vola Vedette was the easy winner of the Christmas hurdle on the 28th of December in 2011 because in play that race was particularly erratic on the Betfair exchange. Now prices bounce around everywhere in play on every event on the betting exchange so that wasn't unusual although in this instance as Vola Vedette crossed the finishing line it was still trading at a price of 29.0 in decimals equivalent to 28 to 1. Okay, so fairly uh, famous or infamous story from the past in Betfair Exchange. Um, Vola La Vedette, uh, a good decade ago, now over a decade ago, crossed the line as the winner. Um, But in the last sort of 100 yards, as as you would expect the horse to be 1.01 delayed, like it was just definitely going to win, there was no other scenario and as it was 50 yards from the line and as it was one yard from the line and as it crossed the line and had already won there was a back price available of 29.0 on the exchange with quite a significant amount of money sitting there it was reported that a £21,474,836 lay bet had been placed on the exchange on the eventual winner in play on that particular market, equating to a total exposure of £600 million. So at this point, anyone with the common sense hat on can see that a £600 million liability is essentially a software error. Everybody that is playing here will have the nuance, the intelligence to know that. It is no different to a palp at a bookmaker who are offering 10,000 to 1 instead of 10 to 1. Now, some people say would see a palpable error, 
and they would have there's two options to what you think about what you do there you either chance your arm and hope that you get paid out or you see it and you say that's an obvious error i don't want to take advantage of an obvious error maybe there's an argument that taking advantage of an obvious error is similar to seeing somebody walk down the street drop their wallet you pick the wallet up you take the money out of it then you tap them on the shoulder and give them back the empty wallet it's taking advantage in plain sight of an error there is a counter argument that people use well i wouldn't do that to a person but i would do it to a william hill a betfair a netflix there's a lot of people that say you know i'm not going to pay for netflix but i will access it for free the counter argument being who is the bad actor there you say well netflix are a horrible multinational corporation but then you take content for free and provide nothing of it. There's no, it's a straw man argument. There's no justification against your actions. And here, I think, if you look at 600 million pound liability at 28 to one on a horse that has already won, then by trying to take advantage of that. Now, incidentally, I'm not saying that I wouldn't. I think things are happening very fast as the horse runs the line. You've got to make instant decisions. If I saw 28 to one there, I'm not going to lie, I would, take advantage of an error but i would also be doing it in the expectation that i wouldn't be paid i once was watching a manchester united game a decade ago and i saw rooney score a free kick and i looked at betfair exchange and there was still a price for rooney to score first and i took it and to, to tell you the truth i actually felt pretty bad after taking it because i've taken advantage of another person not of betfair because they were laying that bet. It wasn't Betfair laying that bet. I saw Rooney score the goal. The market wasn't frozen in time. I took the price. I only took a fiver, by the way. There was about 50 quid available because I fully expected it to be reversed. And it never was. Um, and it's weird that that stuck with me to today because I ripped somebody off there. I see that as the same as picking somebody's wallet up. But it happened so quickly, I had to make a decision. I think my thinking process was, well, I could take advantage here I don't want to, but I don't not want to as well. So that's why I only took a fiver on Rooney. So yeah, I'd probably, I think these days I wouldn't be, I wouldn't touch the 28 to one, probably more for account preservation reasons, but I can understand why people would. But if you do it, you do it fully in the knowledge that you're taking advantage of something that you shouldn't be. And um, you have to deal with the circumstances of that. It's called personal accountability. And savvy and running players took full advantage of that, as they would usually on any horse race throughout the entire year. Savvy advantage players, shysters, maybe chances, charlatans. I don't know. Savvy advantage players. Although in this instance, it was a little bit different because the 200 customers that had backed Volavadet as it passed the line at a price of 28 to 1 were in for a bit of a shock. Now, some advantage bettors and shrewd players are even placing bets between different exchanges to lock in a profit on the situation. And in this instance, some shrewd players had placed a back bet for the horse to win with the Betfair exchange and laid off their liability for the horse not to win with an old exchange such as bet duck much like that very common saying they were hedging their bets um, uh, what the hell are you honestly are you serious are you serious I don't know is he being serious is he being serious is there a single serious 
Just... Let's reverse the... Some... No. No? Just a bit... Say that again, Khan. And laid off their liability for the horse not to win with an alternate exchange such as bet down. And at this point, I lose both the will to live and all sympathy for anybody that has backed at 28 to 1 and is so confident they're going to be paid at that, they are laying, they're hedging their bet elsewhere. How much do you need to back at 28 to 1 on a horse that's already won? A tenner? A hundred pounds? And you can't even afford to risk that. You have to hedge that. This mindset is unbelievable. I mean, I'm, I'm shocked that anyone was doing it. Um, this is almost like we're in the realms of picking the wallet up off the floor, taking the money out, tapping the guy on the shoulder, giving him his wallet back, and then loaning him his own money and seeing if you can get away with it. And many of those people thought that they were in for a bumper Christmas having locked in a huge amount of profit in this instance, although they were wrong. Because what happened next hit the headlines as a full-scale scandal. Now Just skipping a completely irrelevant, humble brag bit of the video where he talks about getting a premium charge. But there was a big problem in this instance because after the race, Betfair voided all in-running bets. This is not particularly consistent with other instances on the Betfair exchange, such as crashes, outages, and maybe even VAR and instances like this, where Betfair does not avoid the entire marketplace purely because there has been a mistake on one of the outcomes. It doesn't seem all that particularly fair, and at the time, it did feel speculation that Betfair may actually be inside the trading on their own exchange markets whilst regulating themselves as the actual industry regulator looks on. Now, 30 four people decided to raise a complaint with the independent betting adjudication service on this particular incident and it raged on over a period of time with many news articles in the process. Eventually IBAS come to the conclusion that Betfair were not responsible with Betfair saying that they could not pay out the potential liability there because the person that had had this bet only had less than a thousand pounds in their exchange account. As usual with all of these large corporations Betfair fell back on one of their terms and conditions where it stipulated that they cannot be responsible for technological failures within their product, which raised further questions such as, is it fair that the law forces customers and consumers to pay for the company's mistakes? Either way, Betfair got away without having to cover the exposure for that £600 million liability. Okay, that's enough of the video. Look, I'm no fan of Betfair. In fact, they're starting to really irritate me because a decade and a half ago, um, or uh, I was playing Paddy Power games and someone gave me some advice that I stupidly took. And the advice was that if I self-exclude from, because I'd lost concessions, I was like using, I was depositing £100 for £100 at Paddy Power games and there was some EV in that. And it was just, a, you, you run it through on blackjack and um, it, it, was, it was free money. Um, but I lost my concessions because I took advantage of them too frequently, which is what can be expected if you take advantage of concessions too much. So I lost my concessions at Paddy Power Games. And someone told me if you um, self-exclude and then close your account, and then op you can open one up in six months' time and you get your concessions back. Well, how much of a moron am I? I listened to that guy, I self-excluded, and I was unable to open up a new Paddy Power account. Obviously, because self-exclusion, they, 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 the companies don't joke around with that. They take it very seriously because 
if they get it wrong, they end up with very large fights. Of course they do. So looking back, that was a stupid mistake by me and nobody else. What I didn't see coming... Well, I lost my Paddy Power Sports, which was no problem at the time because I was restricted there. But when they merged with Betfair Exchange, they froze my Betfair Exchange. It's still frozen to this day. And they froze all my... So I had all those positions which were frozen as well. And I, I also had no idea what my positions were and they wouldn't tell me. Then recently they merged with PokerStars and my PokerStars that is 20 years old and I've used it to qualify for events in Europe and America and I frequently have a game when the kids go to bed and blah de blah de blah that's been frozen, you know? And I tried to talk to them, they won't talk. They, they, nobody, and of course they won't because you get in touch with a customer service agent. Which customer service agent is going to put its head above the parapet in order to unfreeze a frozen self-excluded account? They're not going to. And now Skybet has merged as well. And my Skybet has gone. So it's my own fault. But they've all fallen over like pins. I am no fan of Betfair and the fact that they froze my exchange and won't listen to reason. I think they've acted poorly. I understand why nobody will deal with it. But I'm annoyed and frustrated. I'm not a fan of theirs. In this instance, obviously they're not going to have a £600 million liability on what was obviously a technical computer glitch it's sad that it's happened but there are no robin hoods there are no heroes the 31 people that complained to ibas that it's, it's unbelievable that they even thought that they could take it to ibas who and those people are acting as if they think that they are the good guys and the fact that over a decade later Khan releases this video as if somehow it's a scandal. It's not a scandal. It's the most obvious outcome that could have happened for what is a very interesting story. The story itself is interesting. The fact that Betfair got away with it isn't the conclusion here. It's, it's it, because there was no other possible outcome that could happen. A more recent video about the chap Liam Manifold who walked into a coral shop and um, wrote down a bet that um, he thought he could create a multiple out of it. And you can't really blame the recreational and amateur punter to think that they can take any three things and combine them into a multiple. Um, but look, you can't have um, Manchester City to beat Newcastle at even money and then separately Haaland to score six goals at 10 to 1 and multiply them together because if Haaland scores six goals then Manchester City are almost certainly going to win there is inclusivity in the Venn diagram of those two outcomes and you need to actually factor in if you are a bookmaker the probability of both events happening at the same time and that probability will be less, much less in a lot of situations than the three events multiplied together. And the three events this chap had a bet on were Argentina to win the tournament at 11-2, to Lionel Messi to be player of the tournament at 9-1, to and Argentina and France to be in the final at 22-1. to Three independent bets. He's taken them, he's put them on a bet slip, and he's multiplied 11 to 2 by 9 to 1 and by, by 22 to 1, which is about 1,500 to 1, and he's stuck a tenner on it. Now, he's not at fault for not understanding that. I don't expect many 
recreational amateur punters to understand the world of exclusive and inclusive probability. However, it was the staff staff's responsibility to see it. But then again, betting shops do pay staff minimum wage. How many minimum wage cashier assistants could be expected to understand uh, the, an inclusive and an exclusive bet? What should have happened was it should have been phoned up and a trader would have caught it. In fact, maybe it was. If the trader didn't catch it when it was phoned up, it still shouldn't be paid out. But that trader's not worth his salt. So I don't know if it was phoned up or not. In fact, I'm going to read the, I'm going to read the, the Birmingham Mail article here. The spokesman for Coral said, blah de blah blah Somebody said this. I went to do this. I did that. Yeah, I have no idea if it was phoned up or not. But it doesn't really matter. It was a mistake. A, a mistake from the punter. A mistake from the cashier. But in no way should be that, that be paid out. And yet, somehow, I don't know. Do you know what? Go and watch Khan's latest video. One thing is for sure. Great production skills and presentation skills on his videos. I'll give him that. Even if I don't agree with his side that he takes and the straw man arguments, I will give him credence that he is very good at clickbait and putting together these presentation style videos. road paths in various forms of life. I feel like they help me achieve a goal. And achieving a goal isn't the point, by the way. Um, the point is the journey, always. It's cheesy, but life is the journey and not the destination. You never get to the completion of a project and just go, well, I'm happy now that I'm here. It was the fun in getting there. And if it wasn't fun getting there, you may well want to reevaluate what it is that your journeys are. But, of course, without a roadmap and without plans, there are no journeys. Those are the people, I think, that tend to sit around playing computer games, taking drugs and being bored. Not that there's anything wrong with Grand Theft Auto. I've just rebooted that up onto the Xbox for the cold winter nights. Um, so, I like planning and having roadmaps, and I have various ones for different parts of life. Boring ones that aren't interesting, like I want to be able to deadlift 180 kilograms this year do some kipping pull-ups, I want to go on an amateur dramatics course and <clears throat> some various cooking courses. But in the gambling sphere and specifically the technology and bookie bashing, if I open the mailbag this morning, one of the um, one of the issues we had through to support, is, it said, um, when are you going to sort out all the tech problems you have with no more detail? But I do know that what we do is we add and add and add to bookie bashing and occasionally we don't step back and see how much the addition of the models and tools is impacting the architecture that sits behind the site, especially on the tools side of the things. The the trackers, which sit on their own, like the Golf doesn't talk to the horse racing tracker. So when they work, they work. But the tools share data with each other. The Match XG with the detailed, with the bet builder, with the game center. And over time, what has happened is they have been impacted by problems and issues with increased load. So let's say you opened up um, the bet builder. What happens is that all of the data from all of the different databases gets loaded into that. And incidentally, that includes all of the API streams for top price. It includes 
all the Betfair markets for every sport. And it includes all of our advanced calculations. That includes detailed calculations, match XG, game center, shots and target, player XG, 180s, handicaps, totals. So all of that gets loaded in. Actually, we had an issue yesterday when um, all of the Betfair data was getting loaded in over and over and over again. And it was crashing your browser due to us just trying to make it improve other things. So if you ever opened one of the tools, you would find that it would take a while to load. And if you didn't have very good connectivity, you would find that it wouldn't load or that it would very frequently disconnect. And the disconnect was due to a number of different reasons. You had to stay connected in before it got to the end of a calculation cycle. Sometimes in the middle of a calculation cycle, when we changed something or something weird happened, it would crash the system. An example is during the beginning of the PDC World Championships, the scraper was picking up minus 2.2 180s for um, Vandenberg because of a change from the source data provider. And the scraper just picked that up. And then when the calculation got to who's having the most 180s out of a guy with a positive in, uh, number of 180s and a guy with a negative number of 180s, it would attempt to work out that calculation and it would attempt to take the square root of a negative number and it then was returning infinity or zero, which then crashed the 180s tool, but then would crash everything else. like And the ribbon would turn red. So if you were sat on the player XG tool, whilst the background server ran that calculation on Vincent Vandenberg, the player XG tool would crash and everything would turn red. So that's the background. So now what we've done is we've stopped the tools from continuously updating data. That means that you open a tool and it updates, the, it just loads the data once and stops and the browser calms down. And that means that when you're in shop, you're loading much less data with much less load on your mobile phone. And if it crashes over at the X180s, it shouldn't crash over at the player XG. So the load time is improved and the con connections have been improved. I promise you, I was as frustrated as everybody else, not with the developer who creates this because it's such an incredibly complicated thing that we've created. And I keep personally asking him to do more and more and more. And I never said, stop and look at the architecture. So if anything, it's probably my fault for not understanding the, what, the requirements of the tools in the background, because the tools are very much my project, right? From if you every single one of them, from the game center, the bet builder, the match XG, this is things that I've put together, the mathematics, and then I, I team together with a, a really good developer who's pretty, pretty much the cleverest guy that I know that I've come across. Um, and it, it's great work, but what we've put is so complicated, it did start having those connection problems. And I was as frustrated. I went over to Prague, I couldn't stay connected for more than a minute, or I log on to it on my mobile phone and it just doesn't load. So now hopefully we've sorted that and you, if you log on now, connections will be in free, less frequent, disconnections will be less frequent, double negative there. Staying connected will be more frequent, let's go with that. And load time will be improved. Um, we're working very hard on the handicaps model. We've introduced darts and snooker along with the basketball, the NFL, the rugby union and the rugby league. Uh, and in darts and snooker, 
we're going to be working on more there. Um, building the correct score market, as discussed back in the first segment of this podcast. Um, but also working on the extrapolation curves and bringing in more information than just the Bet365 alternative handicaps, but also bringing in liquid match odds from exchanges so that we can hinge that if it's outside of the extrapolation curve and it gives us more confidence in those in-between numbers. And I think there's going to be, that's going to be a huge tool to be able to use on uh, rugby union, on um, these kind of sports throughout the sort of spring and the summer months of this year. One thing we're going to do definitely is we have massive amounts of data absolutely massive amounts of data from the game center from the detailed lines and we've got like i think it it was either two uh, two hundred thousand games or two hundred thousand something <laughs> you see when i was told two hundred it was, was it twenty thousand games no i think it is two hundred thousand games we have um so we have 200,000 games, and we can we can hook up the results of those games, right? So if we're saying match odds and BTTS is 2.6, or win both halves is 4.2, well, we're going to hook those things up against the, the results, and then we've got a data set that should hopefully say, in the 10,000 times that we said that there would be a 2 to 1 chance of... Uh, the home team winning both halves at two to one. It happened 33% of the time, and therefore there is some synergy. And hopefully we can also bring in some odds from the exchanges and the bookmakers and say, you know, if you'd bet on the closing lines when our lines were a bit higher, you would have been profitable or you would have made a loss. So what the, the important thing is not just to do this and these analytics ourselves, but to allow users to do the analytics. So we're going to build an interface, a data archive interface, where you can go back in time and select a group of games from the bet builder, say all games where both teams to score on over 3.5 was a certain odds range, and you can compare, have a look at how that would have compared historically against bookmakers' prices, if we have the bookmakers' prices, against bet for exchange and things like that. That's a really big thing that we're working on. The data exists. It's just about how we're going to hook it up with both results and odds and get a user interface out from that. It's going to be super powerful. That's going to be the kind of thing that if you're good at interrogation, you can use that to find edges yourself with, and, and find confidence. And we can, you know, hopefully sort of dispel some myths around things like win both halves. Win both halves is such a... Um, so such a I don't know um, what's the word black black and white I can't quite think of the, what the word is but some people love them some people hate them some people are confident and some people don't I mean it, it goes all the way back to the start when we first did the win both halves ca calculation we monitored four hundred win both halves on the tracker and they were sitting but but that was between um, the fourth of July twenty twenty and January 2021. And at that time, we were running at minus 7.5%. Somebody specifically asked us, can you report on the ROI of win both halves on the tracker? They knew it was minus 7.5%. We had the data up on the site and they'd done this analysis themselves. And my answer is that I wouldn't do it. And the reason that I wouldn't do it 
is because 400 games wasn't a reasonable sample size, I wanted to wait for more. By the time we got to 1,000 games, we were running at plus 8.03%. And the expected ROI from the EV, because these are boosts, right? That's why we were making a profit. The expected ROI was 8.37%. So we were betting on boosts and we were down at minus 7.5% and this guy asked us to report on them and I said no, and he canceled. So he, he bet on those 400 win both halves, or I don't know, he bet on a few of them and saw how bad they were performing, asked me to report on them, I didn't, he canceled and then they went on a massive winning run. Um, and similarly, this is the kind of thing I want to do, but not with boosts, with exchange prices, with closing lines. I should hopefully find that some things that match the closing lines don't show any profit. All they do is that the, num that the return is 0, 0.00. Um, so we're going to do a similar thing for players as well. So instead of... We, uh, the problem with the shots on target is that we were doing it manually so we weren't capturing every game. I didn't like that approach. I didn't like that approach because you could sort of look at the data set and say, well, why did you include this winner and not this loser? You have to have it all or nothing, but to have it all, I can't do it manually. And I was sitting at every game downloading the data manually. So we're now going to do that automatically for both shots and target and player XG for 2 plus, for 3 plus, for AGS and for FGS. And we're, again, the dynamic tools make it slightly difficult to work out exactly what price you benchmark. So we'll have different things on closing line. Have a look at all the closing lines. Uh, and see how they compare against the, the performance compares against lucky bashing. You know, if, if we're making bets negative EV on closing line, they should be losing money. Um, and we can refine our tools based on this. So all, all of this basically is around data, data archiving, user interfaces, and making these in, um, available to everyone and easy to use so that people can interrogate themselves. And perhaps, you know, you use it and you find an edge. And you don't want to tell anybody about it, but you've, you've said, you know, over the last thousand games, I would have had 2% ROI doing this or that or this. Or perhaps you use it to disprove an edge that you thought you had. You know, I was looking at corners in all of these games. Well, it turns out that I've been losing and if I had times 10 the games, I would have lost more, so I'm going to stop doing that. I know some people are definitely using our tools to find significant edges with very decent ROI on corners. Um, so that's the second thing. Uh, well, the third thing, I mean, we've fixed the, the, the load time improvements and the connections, the handicaps, we've got the data archive project, making big data available. The next thing is a suite of training videos that I want to do. One thing I'm very conscious of is that something that most people say to me is that there's a lot going on at Bucky Bashing and I don't, I feel like I don't use everything. Well, here's the thing. Not everyone uses everything. In fact, nobody uses everything. I don't think so anyway. I mean, it's a sweeping statement, but I can't imagine that they do. I certainly don't use everything. I don't use the early payout tracker. I don't use um, um, the uh, most of the bet tracker I don't use unless I'm sort of looking at it for biased markets. Um, if everybody was using everything, then there would not be enough to go around. There's almost so much of bookie bashing that people can't use it all, and that's the point. However, the second thing that they say is the things that they don't use, they don't know how to use. Frequently, it's how does the bet builder work. Somebody was sort of saying, I took um, Salah and I multiplied him by Liverpool to win 2-1, and uh, the odds seemed crazy. Well, yeah, I'm not clever enough to know that those are two independent events. It thinks that Salah is over here, 
um, playing in a different match in Liverpool 2-1. So actually, it's incumbent on us to block as many of those as possible. But also, training courses, how to use it. What's an independent event? What isn't an independent event? All the different uh, databases that are available and how to really get advantages on the exchange. Um, so I'm going to do startup training courses this year. Start Really simple. Start here. Understand this. Move to here. Understand that. And really sort of improve the training courses experience and clinic calls as well. I mean, the guy that was um, asking about the bet builder, I'm actually going to end up having a clinic call with him um, just to sort of explain, um, you know, what it can do and what it cannot do because it's really good, but it, it has limitations and we haven't communicated those limitations very well. And on that, I would say, if you've got any questions about how anything works and what the limitations are or where the edges are or how to use anything... I enjoy these clinic calls. I enjoy speaking to people. So please email evna at bookiebashing.net and she will um, schedule you into a Tuesday or a Thursday between 1pm and 3pm sometime between now and when I die because um, the calendar is filling up. Do be patient if you have to wait a week or two because a few people are in. Also someone was asking, I, was, I wanted to do a clinic call about this. Someone was saying they, they, they had a look at 2 plus and 3 plus for Arsenal versus Oxford and the players within it. And like Inketia was like 9.6 on the exchange and we had them down at 7.2. So he was asking like, normally it's quite accurate, uh, but this is showing value on the exchange. So why is that? Um, is it due to playing time? Do they think that if Inketia scores one, he's going to come off against Oxford? Um, and I wish I'd seen this question before kickoff because a lot of information disappeared at kickoff. Um, and um, the clinic calls are a really good way to explain um, what's happening here. But essentially, in a situation like that, you have to ask the question, who's more likely to be accurate here? The exchange liquidity, where there's hundreds of pounds available, or this alternative model? And I would suggest if there was a lot of steam happening in that match on the XG, um, you know, if Arsenal steamed, or if Arsenal's XG steamed because Arsenal were expected to score more goals, or the over 2.5 price steamed, the AGS price steamed. If there was a lot of price changing, then what could have happened is traders go up with the 2 plus and 3 plus, and the mar there's a lot of correlation between the traders' prices and the exchange prices, and quite simply, they stayed up with these static prices where they should have been moving them. We were moving them, and because we were moving them and we were assigning more XG to the players, we were simply finding that the probability, the fair odds of these players scoring two goals in the game against Oxford was more likely than the markets were suggesting. Enketia did get his two goals in that game, but it's a single game, so there's no booming to happen there. But I can understand if someone's looking at that, they're going, well, what am I meant to do with this information? Get in touch. Have a clinical. Let's talk about it, you know. So mainly those, oh, and of course the player XG um, visualization where we can have a football pitch and we drag and drop players and change formations and see how XG and AGS and FGS and 2 plus and 3 plus change based on the way that we drag players around the pitch. Those are the things that I want to do. Uh, a chap on Twitter got in touch. He doesn't need, you don't need to do this, people on Twitter. He wasn't a member. He he replied to a video I did about how to deal with losing runs, and he said, you've got a lot to learn. 
comma, son. One, I'm 44 years old. So unless you're in your 70s, son is a deliberately derogatory comment. People say this, knowing, you say it to other middle-aged men in a, uh, to project power onto that person. That's what you do. They say, I, I am your dad, I am a father figure, you are the son, and I am talk. I am literally talking down to you as you would talk down to generations. But I didn't know this guy. So I went and looked at his Twitter ha- uh, blurby blurb, and he's like, you know, nicest guy in the world, dad, uh, and he is um, a cryptocurrency expert. There you go. So he's a crypto bro. So how did cryptocurrencies do in 2022? Bitcoin price in 2022. Let's see the graph. Started at 30,000. It was actually as high as 50,000 before then. Finished at 15,000. And I think all the Bitcoins did that. So I think if you started with... A thousand pounds at the beginning of the year, he would have been at five hundred pounds at the end of the year. Why? Because everyone who's an expert in cryptocurrency is fooling themselves. It's a zero sum game. There are winners and there are losers. People that get in at the right time, whether they had some skill getting in because it was early. And there's no skill in getting early. You can get in early and things can collapse. But people got in at a time and then they sold it to people. Somebody bought it at fifty thousand, they're the loser in this scenario. So crypto expert halved his money. What did I do in golf last year? Um, personally, my betting yeah, it was around about sixty percent return on investment, and I made you know tens of thousands myself. So why does he have to turn to me and go, "You've got a lot to learn, son"? Do you know what? I do have a lot to learn, I, and I'm, I'm always learning and shaping and changing things. And that's, I think, the important point to take out of this. If you ever think you know everything, then it's that, that's the end of the game. That's the end of the line. You're, 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 you're refusing to embrace new technology, new data, new pathways. Um, so I stupidly argued back at him, and then he argued back at me, and then I blocked him. And I've actually found that I'm blocking more people on Twitter these days, and I'm happier. I had this thing where I never blocked anyone. And then I would get annoyed at people, and now I block them, and life is better. So, as part of my pathway in 2023, my roadmap, I'm going to be blocking loads more people across all social media platforms. Whatever it is that you're betting on this weekend, please remember that you're in charge and not the devil. This is Tom signing out.